Take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter six. And you know, does God know what he's doing or what? Uh, now on missions day, it's time to preach on Isaiah six. I'm preaching through Isaiah and the next place was Isaiah six. You say, well, what's so important about that? Well, you just wait. It's all about missions. It's all about us going. It's all about us hearing the voice of God. It's all about us hearing the call of God. And I want to tell you, if you're a, miss, if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. You're a missionary at your workplace. You're a missionary in your family. All of us have loved ones that are lost, that don't know the Lord. All of us are people who work and live around people who are lost. And so we want to witness to them, share the gospel with them. Uh, let me ask you a question. What should happen when you go to church? What should happen when you read your Bible? What should happen when you pray, go into your prayer closet and pray? And what should happen when you sing songs like we just sang? What, what should happen? I'll tell you what should happen. When you do those kind of things, look at me. You need to see the Lord. Now, you may not see him face to face, but you need to be in his presence. You need to see the Lord. And when you see the Lord, your whole life is changed. Your whole life is changed. Isaiah knew the Lord, but Isaiah in chapter six saw the Lord. Now, he didn't see his face because the Bible says nobody can see God's face until eternity or they would die. But he saw enough of the Lord to know that the Lord is a lot greater than he ever dreamed. He'd already written five glorious passages. And now in chapter six, when an earthly king had died, he saw the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's so beautiful. Let's read it through and just follow with me. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another, and they said, holy, 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 let's say that together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. After he was cleansed, he could hear God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? There's the Trinity right there. Then I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, go, tell this people. Keep on listening, but don't perceive. Keep on looking, but don't understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. 
Then I said, how long, O Lord? Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated without inhabitant houses or without people. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet, there will be a tenth portion in it. That is a righteous remnant. And it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed, that's us, is the stump. So what happens when we see the Lord? Four things, number one, when you see the Lord, you're gonna be comforted. You're gonna be comforted. Look at the first four verses. In the year of King Uzziah's what? Death. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings with two. He covered his face with two. He covered his feet with two. He flew. One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold tremble. That's the threshold of heaven. Trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Chapter 6 opens with a word of sadness. The great king of 52 years in Judah, Uzziah, had died. His reign was a prosperous reign in Judah's history. But the Lord had to discipline Uzziah along the way. He spent the last 11 years of his life separated from the people of God with leprosy. Why? Because he arrogantly went into the temple, tried to take the place of the priest and tried to offer sacrifices and incense. The priest saw what he was doing they feared for his life. They pulled him out, and on the way out, he was stricken with leprosy, and he died that way. And now he has died. And Isaiah and all of Judah mourned his death. He had given them peace. He had given them prosperity. But he finished his life as a lonely leper. And it was at that time that Isaiah had this beautiful vision that we know, that we read about. I love this contrast. Judah's throne was empty, but heaven's throne was occupied. How many of you know that regardless of who's in the seat of authority in the world, God is on his throne, amen, amen. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. I like the King James myself here, high and lifted up with the train of his robe filling the temple. Oh. After this, in the next chapter, chapter seven, I'm gonna save that for Christmas because after he saw the Lord, then he saw in the next chapter, the virgin birth. In the chapter nine, he saw Jesus reigning as the King of kings and the wonderful counselor of the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He also saw later on in chapter 53 the bodily resurrection of Jesus after he died for our sins on the cross. He saw all of that after he saw the Lord. But when he saw the Lord, he'd been mourning just like everybody else for the king and for the political situation in Judah. Does anybody think about that nowadays? 
and we have been for 40 years thinking about how our political issues are so, so such a mess for the last four decades, if not more. But I can tell you this. He was comforted when he saw God on that throne. That's why you need to pray every day. That's why you need to worship, regardless who's sitting in those seats of power on the earth. The real power is in heaven. Those visions, all of that comes to comfort us. In 1980, does anybody remember 1980? We got married, Don and I did. Moved to seminary. I got married in June, got ordained to preach in July, and went to seminary in August. A year later, I began my first church, well, the second church I'd served at uh, as a youth, what back then, we call them youth directors. Now they're pastors. Everybody is a pastor nowadays, right? But back then it was just youth director and we were working in a wonderful little church in Lake Dallas, Texas. And one of the members there, Don Cadenhead, had season tickets to the Dallas Cowboys. Let me tell you about that church. We started an early service at eight o'clock so that all the people that had tickets to the Cowboys could go to the game, all right? <laughs> Not because we were all crowded out. We just had some folks who wanted to go to the game. And so Monday night football, I'll never forget it. September the 21st, 1981, Don and I went to see the Cowboys play Monday night football, and they beat the Patriots 35 to 21, if you're interested. <laughs> and there, I couldn't believe it. Danny White throwing down there two touchdowns. Tony Dorsett, oh man, I remember him. Scored a touchdown. Billy Joe Dupree caught a touchdown. And then I like the lineman, Ed Tall jones from Jackson, Tennessee, Randy White, John Dutton. I couldn't believe it. But the main person that I was grateful for was the coach, Tom Landry. He led that team for 29 years. He was their first coach, the original coach of the Cowboys. 20, 20 consecutive winning seasons. 15 division titles, five Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl champions, championships, the sixth and the twelfth. And while he was a great coach, he was even a better Christian. He loved the Lord, faithful church member, trustee at Dallas Theological Seminary. <clears throat> I heard him say that this statement about his comfort in Christ. This is a great man. This is a man's man right here. This is a man that knew what it meant to be a man. And he said, as a Christian, I know my life is in God's hands. He has a plan for me. Therefore, I never worry about tomorrow because that knowledge gives me the composure I need in tough situations. What he was saying is, Every day, I, I just walk with the Lord. I see the Lord, and the Lord comforts me. 
Do you think maybe our culture needs some comfort right now? Aren't we pretty on edge? If you don't think so, pull in front of somebody on the interstate. <laughs> and you'll see that more than likely, they are on edge. They take it personal now. When you come to church, you know what you should do? See the Lord. When you pray, you know what you need to do? When you read your Bible, you, know, you need to see the Lord. When you worship, when you sing, uh, let me tell you about my Jesus, you need to see the Lord. And when you see the Lord, the first thing is you're going to be comforted. Because you're going to realize regardless of what's going on out here, heaven is still intact. Heaven is not worried. Heaven is comforting to our soul. I hear people say, don't think about heaven. If you're, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, because we are heavenly minded, we are earthly good. We can help people because our perspective is changed and comforted by the Lord. We see Jesus and seeing the Lord comforts us regardless of who is in political office, regardless of who is running the stock markets or what it's doing, regardless of whatever the courts legislate, whatever our doctor diagnoses, whatever our family members do and say, even the weirdest ones in our families. <laughs> We've all got weird ones in our families. If you don't know that, Almost say about that. <laughs> Whatever comes your way, God's on his throne. I said God is on his throne. Amen. Right now. Right now. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I Fear. Say that loud. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Romans 8, 28 is still in the Bible. Amen. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. How many of you love God? Anybody love God? All right. To those who are called according to his purpose, don't worry about trying to see the preacher at church. Don't worry about who all is in your class at church. Don't worry about the singers. They're great, all that's great. But listen, turn your eyes upon Jesus and you will be comforted when you come to the house of God. Amen. Secondly, when you see the Lord, you're going to be convicted. No amens on that. <laughs> Can we go back to the comfort? No, no, no. We were there long enough. Look at verse two, seraphim, that's angels stood above him, each having six wings. Now watch this, with two he covered his face. Why? God is so holy he couldn't look upon him. He's worshiping. With two he covered his feet. Why? He's standing on holy ground. God is too holy not to cover your feet. And with two he flew. So notice that he, with four wings he worships the Lord and with two he serves the Lord. Worship always comes before service. Even the angels know that. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. One called out to another. You know what that is? They're worshiping antiphonally. You say, what in the world is that? Well, this side over here and this side over here. And they're saying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. It's full of his glory. And they're just saying it antiphonally and it's all ringing out through heaven. You want to try it? All right. All of you over, you're the first. All of you over, you respond. Here we go. Say, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you don't like that, don't go to heaven. That's how they worship. Amen. You got to get in on it. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Oh, they were having a, felt a shaking, a heaven quake, not an earthquake, a heaven quake. It's kind of like what happened when they were praying in Acts chapter four after they'd been arrested for preaching the gospel. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was what? Say it out loud. Shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with boldness. Isaiah saw heaven's temple filled with smoke. That's signifying the holy presence of God. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up, and then God shows up in a cloud. Why? Because he's so holy that we can't even look on him. God covers himself, clothes himself with a cloud. And once Isaiah saw the Lord, he was smitten with conviction. Look at verse five. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's about as specific as you can get in your confession. I've been saying things I shouldn't say. I've been using my mouth in a way I shouldn't have done it. Can I get a witness? For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. I, I, I've seen him and now I know how filthy I am. He's so high and so holy. I'm a man of unclean lips. Oh, I need to confess I need to use these lips to repent of my slanderous speech. Oh, he was convicted when he saw the Lord. I dearly love the books and the writings of Henry Blackaby, author of the best-selling book, Experiencing God. One little sentence from him was beautiful. He said, when God, holy God, draws near in true revival, people come under terrible conviction of sin. The outstanding feature of spiritual awakening has always been the profound consciousness of the presence and the holiness of God. Man, I want us to shout and sing to the Lord, but I also want us to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. When you see the Lord, you're going to get convicted. We need a sense of the presence of God and the conviction of God in our services. 
There need to be those times where we're shouting, praise God, and there also need to be those times where we're saying, woe is me. His presence is so palpable, it's so real. And nowadays I hear people of people that plan worship services to attract people. Show me that in the Bible. They didn't attract, they didn't plan worship services to attract people. They planned worship services to attract the presence of God. And when God showed up, it was so glorious. People just wanted some of that. I'll tell you how to get our church full of people. Get it full of God. Get it full of God. Just let God be so real in this place that people all over Memphis will say, hey, something's going on at Bellevue. God is there. And even though they'll come in and they'll be comforted, yes, but they'll be convicted of their sin. You can't be in the presence of God and realize, I'm not like him, but I want to be. I want to be. I believe that there's nothing in our nation or in our world today that couldn't be solved if the presence of God came back to the churches of God and the people of God. Amen. And we got convicted and we repented and walked in purity. Oh, God, let it happen. When you see the Lord, you're going to be convicted. Number three, when you see the Lord, you're going to be cleansed. Look at verses six and seven. Then, after I made my confession, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth. Now, why did he touch his mouth? That's where the problem was. I'm a man of unclean what? Lips. Did you know that God knows where your sin is? He'll touch that little area, won't he? How many of you know what I'm talking about when God puts his finger on your sin area? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You don't like it either, do you? It's like touching a wound, you know. But he's not touching you to hurt you. He's not touching you to harm you. He's touching you to heal you. So let him touch. Don't tell God to get his hand off of you. you look, you don't want to live without the hand of God and without the touch of God. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away. Are there any more beautiful words in the whole Bible? Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. I mean, how much better does it get? I mean, is that not the best thing you could hear? Isn't that what you want to hear from God? That all your iniquity is gone, all your sins are gone, it's all washed away in the blood of Jesus. Once Isaiah was convicted, he repented. He confessed his sin to God, and God cleansed him. Where have I read this before? Something like this. Oh, yeah, Acts or Luke chapter 5. Peter met Jesus. He had an experience just like this in Luke 5. It happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. Then he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, 
but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down, Jesus did, and began teaching the people or the crowd from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Here is a preacher telling a fisherman how to fish. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. Their nets began to break, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. How many of you know that Jesus knows where the fish are? Does anybody know that? But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. Does that sound a little bit like Isaiah to you? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. You don't want the likes of me around you. Get out of here, preacher. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken in. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't fear. Let's say that together. Don't fear from now on. Aren't you glad that Jesus talks about from now on? Forget all that stuff in the past. Don't fear, from now on, you'll be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. <laughs> oh, he saw the Lord and he got cleansed and I invite you to do the same thing today. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I've seen him take people that were on drugs, alcoholics, and I've seen him sober them up. I've seen him take people that were immoral of every kind of immorality you can imagine and clean them up. I've seen him take Wiccans and witches and save them and clean them up. Don't tell me. He can't, that you're too gone, you're too far gone. No, no. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He will change your life. Oh, how we need the cleansing and the conviction and the confession of our sins. All you gotta do is repent. All you gotta do is just confess to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Psalm 32, verse five. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I didn't hide. Talking to the Lord, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. You don't have to tell everybody else, but you do have to tell the Lord. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. If you, look at me, if you came to this church today with unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, don't leave that way. 
If you came with unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, don't, if you walked in that way and you're sitting there like that right now, don't you dare leave that way. Let Jesus cleanse you and forgive you. Repent of your sin. Confess it and repent and ask him to forgive you. And he will. He will. You will be cleansed. Number four, when you see the Lord, oh, you're going to be comforted. But then you're going to be convicted. Then you're going to be cleansed. And now, finally, you can be commissioned. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Then, very important word there. Now that he's clean, he can hear the Lord. Sometimes you can't hear the Lord because you got spiritual wax in your ears, all right? You got something blocking it. It's called sin. You got to get rid of that stuff and walk with the Lord if you want to hear the voice of the Lord. He is a holy God. Sin had separated Isaiah from God and kept him from hearing the Lord. And that's exactly what Isaiah is going to tell us later on in chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities, not God, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Not that he cannot, but that he does not. God will not listen if you're going to try to hang on to your sins. He's not going to let you use him. You hear what I just said? you got to come clean with the Lord, and then he'll straighten you out. But you don't, you don't use God. God uses you, but you don't use God. You come to him with your hat in your hand, with your head bowed, and with your knees on the ground saying, God, I am an, a filthy person, but oh God, forgive me. And he will. Oh, he will. Isaiah's sin had short-circuited his spiritual connection with God. He still had a relationship, but he wanted intimate fellowship. That's where some of you are right now. You've got the relationship. You're saved, but you've got unconfessed sin in your life that you don't want to repent of. You like that sin. But I want to tell you, that little sin that you're petting is a cobra, and it's biting you. It's killing you. Stop it. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. Turn back to the Lord. Repent. Verse 8. Now he gets to hear the voice of the Lord again. He's clean, you know. Verse 8 saying, Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? There's the Trinity. Us. You've got the Trinity discussing who's going to go and speak to this sinful people. And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. If I'm clean, if I've been cleared, if I've been filled, here I am. I want to be in on what you want, not what the world wants. I want to be what you want me to be. Have you ever gotten that way with God? Here am I. Send me whatever you want. I just lay my life down as a blank check. You make it out to whoever you want to, for how much ever you want to. God, I give you my life, a living and holy sacrifice, whatever you want. And I'll wake up like that every day the rest of my life. Lord, whatever you want, thy will be done. Thy will be done. 
Here I am, send me. And God said, okay. It wasn't gonna be easy. This was a tough ministry that he had. Listen to this. Verse nine, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but don't perceive. Keep on looking, but don't understand. It was gonna be a rough crowd. They weren't going to come down the aisle, if you will, by the droves. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, keep on preaching even though they reject you, and their eyes dim, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And I got news for you, real ministry for Jesus is still difficult. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say take up your toys. He didn't say take up your money. He didn't say take up your stuff. He said take up your cross and die every day. It's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. So Isaiah cries out, how long? Verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? How long is this going to go? And he answered, until the cities are devastated without habitation. Houses are without people. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. Forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. I've been watching just a few of the things about the Ukraine. The saddest picture I saw was a little seven or eight-year-old girl sitting beside her grandmother who was lying in the street dead. And that little girl was literally crying her eyes out. That's the kind of thing he's saying here. And I don't want to use a moment in a bad way, but I want to tell you something. Don't you think that what happens in other countries can't happen here? I'm not trying to scare you, but we live in a very divided world. And we need to be on our face before God. Amen. Amen. But aren't you glad, get, glad to be part of God's righteous remnant? Amen. Amen. He said, oh, let me promise you now, there's going to be a tenth portion in it. Let's go back to that just a second. How long? He answered, until cities are devastated, without habitations, houses are without people, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, the, far, the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, yet, aren't you glad for that? Yet, there will be a tenth portion in it. I'm gonna pull a tithe of the people out. It will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. I got news for you. God still got his 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God still got his righteous remnant. God still got people that love him. God still got people that are praying. God still got people that are in the word. God still got people who are filled with the Holy Ghost. God still got people that love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God still got his people that when they sing victory in Jesus, they know what it means to have victory in Jesus. And they might have a lot of problems in the world's eyes. Oh, but they're precious in God's eyes. God still got his remnant. 
in America, in Russia, in the Ukraine. God's got his remnant in China. God's got his remnant in Taiwan. God has got his remnant in Afghanistan. God's got his remnant, his righteous remnant. And when Isaiah saw the Lord, he was commissioned. I listened to a really powerful little, just short little clip from a video on this same passage by Louis Giglio. And uh, I want you to hear it just a second. Watch this real quick. Always explodes an extravagant worship. And we see in this text, all three things. Worship is happening in the presence of God. Glory is the message of the angels. And then grace is the work of God. And so Isaiah's immediate response of worship is to give his entire life to the purposes of God on this earth. He says at the very end, he says, and then verse eight, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, if you're starting to think God's having a little bit of an identity crisis there, this is a very Trinitarian idea. Who will go for us? The community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are now asking purposely in the hearing of Isaiah, who's just experienced radical grace after seeing the glory of God. And then they ask the question, well, we've got a mission. We've got a plan. We've got work to do. We want the whole world to come to see the grace of God. I wonder who we would send. I wonder who would go for us. I wonder who would carry this amazing story and message that we have to carry to the world. And Isaiah is overhearing their conversation, and he just shoots his hand up in the air and says, send me. here. If you're sending somebody, send me. He doesn't know where they're sending them, when they're sending them, how long they're sending them, how costly it's going to be where they send them. He doesn't know who's going, who's not going, what the finances are going to be, what the blueprint's going to be. He just says, I've seen enough and experienced enough to say immediately as my response to that, here am I, whatever you're asking, whatever you're planning, whatever you're plotting, whatever your strategy, if I can get in on that, here am I, send me. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. Wasn't that beautiful? Have you ever thought about the fact that people that don't know Jesus are lost? They're going to hell. Have you ever thought about that? They are, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.12, separate from Christ, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. They have no hope for eternity, and in this world, they are without God. Don't you think maybe you need to love lost people instead of berating them? If you do that, instead of talking down at them, talk to them in love about Jesus. Because the only reason you're not one of them is somebody told you about Jesus. Amen. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me. If you've heard the Lord this morning, you should say, I volunteer. Whatever you want me to do, 
I'm not going to fall into that thing of, okay, I'm, I need to retire now. I, I, I need to coast now. I've done my part now. No, look at me. Are you breathing? Please say yes. God's still got something for you. God's still got a plan for your life. He wants to use you, friend. He wants to use you until he takes you up. And let me tell you something. There is a job for you. There is something God wants you to do. And it might be tough, and that's okay. You know why? Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You need to get in the game. You need to stop sitting on the sidelines and get in, get with the program and get going. Stay in the battle. Pray like it matters. Share Jesus like it matters. Disciple like it matters. Obey like it matters. You know why? It matters. Your life matters. You just see the Lord. You'll be commissioned. When you see the Lord, it's so comforting. When you see the Lord, it's really convicting. When you see the Lord, praise God, you get cleansed. But if that's all there is, that's just going to church. But if you really want to go to the next level, when you see the Lord, you'll get commissioned. What's God calling you to do? What, what do you think God wants you to do with your life? You think he just wants you to sit around and, you know, save a little money and invest a little money for retirement? So you're gonna have three big meals a day till you die? You think that's what it's about? Or do you think maybe God wants you in on his kingdom and to get with the program and start telling people about Jesus at work, at school, wherever it might be, in your neighborhood? What about your people around you that are lost? They're going to hell. You thought about that? You thought about them burning in hell for the rest of eternity? separated from God. You thought about that? Does that ever ring a bell? You ought to be like Isaiah. Oh, I see you. Woe is me. But now that I'm cleansed, I hear you. Here am I. I'm not much. But whatever I got, it's all yours. Here am I. Send me. Say it with me. Here am I, send me. Say it again. Here am I, send me. Amen.